Chapter Fifteen of From Bangkok to Bombay, Siam, French Indochina, Burma, and Hindustan, by Frank G. Carpenter. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. On the roof of the globe. Here at Darjeeling, I am in the attic of Asia, under the very eaves of the roof of the world. About me rise the highest of the Himalaya mountains, their silvery crowns gleaming like diamonds in the brilliant sun. To the north and west I can look for miles over bare granite summits, sharply outlined against a jagged wall of perpetual snow. Here the mountains seem to touch the heavens. There they pierce the opalescent clouds, and farther on they stand out in shafts of silver. That mighty pass at the north is Kinchinjanga, more than five miles high, and this morning I stood on Tiger Hill and saw the sun gild the summit of Mount Everest, which is nearly six miles above the level of the sea. From my vantage ground, I could count a half dozen peaks, any one of which is higher than the loftiest point of the North American continent, and several of which reach above the height of any other part of the globe. Mount Everest measures 29,002 feet, Kinchinjanga 28,156, Janu 25,304, and Kabru 24,015. Of all the great heights I find the Himalayas the most difficult to describe. It is impossible to comprehend their immensity. They are so vast that if you could scatter the other mountains of the world through them, the size of the chain would hardly be affected at all. You could drop the Alps into their valleys, and from a few miles away, the addition would not be noticeable. If you should ascend Mont Blanc, and then go straight upward in an airplane for more than two miles, you would not attain the altitude of Kinchinjanga, which is nearly a mile and a half higher than Mount McKinley, the giant of Alaska. Mount Everest is more than double the height of Fujiyama, the sacred mountain of Japan. You could put another Pikes Peak on the top of our big mountain near Denver, and the summit of the mass would not reach as high as Everest. As for glaciers, those of the Himalayas are far larger than the ice rivers of the Alps. They surpass in size the glaciers of New Zealand as well as those of Alaska. There are glaciers here from 30 to 60 miles long. One in particular is 33 miles in length, and is flanked by two giant peaks, each more than five miles in height. Yet, though the grandeur of the Himalayas is oppressive and their immensity beyond human conception, they are not the most beautiful of the world's mountains. In point of form and symmetry, the finest peaks on earth are Fujiyama in eastern Japan, Mount Cook in northern New Zealand, Mount Mayon, the chief volcano of southern Luzon, and our own Mount Rainier, or Tacoma, on the shores of Puget Sound. The Himalaya system might be called the father of India, for it is largely responsible for the fact that the peninsula is able to support such a big population. These mountains extend like a mighty wall across the north of Hindustan, shutting it off from the rest of Asia. Against this high, cold wall blow the warm winds of the summer monsoon, loaded with moisture from the Indian Ocean. As they strike it, the moisture condenses and falls in floods, watering the plains below. The moist winds keep the mountaintops enveloped in clouds, 
which add greatly to the beauty of the scene the himalayas have a thousand clouds where the alps have one and in my mountain rides i have enjoyed the sight of the cloud masses chasing each other over the hills they crawl up the sides of the valleys they climb to one's feet and wrap themselves around one for ten minutes the mist may be so thick that a person can hardly see the ears of the horse he is riding then suddenly all is clear a cloud has gone by floating up toward the snows this morning in my six-mile ride from darjeeling to tiger hill i had clouds above and below me i could see the masses of vapor nestling softly in the hollows as though taking a siesta as the sun came up it tinged them with fire and spotted the mountains with gold i reached darjeeling from calcutta by rail leaving the hot city about four o'clock in the afternoon we rode out on the plains of the ganges crossed that river by a ferry and then came on a sleeper to the foot of the mountains where we changed cars the way up was all lights and shadows now the sun shone and now the rain came down in torrents we soon had clouds all about us and farther up often lost sight of the engine in the mist shrouding the train in this railroad journey of twenty-one hours i came through the torrid and into the temperate zone just after leaving calcutta we rode through patches of rice and bananas into a jungle of bamboos banyans and other tropical growth the foothills also are clad in such trees and the first ranges reaching a mile and a half above the plain have magnificent forests bedded in mosses and ferns the limbs of the trees are loaded with orchids and here and there are tree ferns with trunks as thick as a telegraph pole and almost as tall the fern leaves come out from the top like those of a palm as we went higher i noticed that the color of the moss on the trees changed from green to light gray it hung from the branches in clusters not unlike the spanish moss of georgia and florida and the green appeared to be dusted with silver higher still there were hardwoods much like those of our american mountains there were roses in bloom and tea plantations climbed the hills i shall never forget that railroad it made me think of the toys of my boyhood the track is a two-foot gauge the engine is about ten feet in length and the cars are pygmies in comparison with our american coaches the track is a series of corkscrew curves zigzags and whys the train twists about like a snake and the cars are so small that they look like the links of a chain the ends of which seem now and then to touch there are a dozen horseshoe curves in every mile and the train makes figure eights several times in its drunken climb up the slopes as we rode up we could see the track rising from terrace to terrace on the mountainside once we shot under a hill and came out into a loop and then crossed over our own trail by a bridge the y system is frequently used and there are double y's to elevate the train from one level to another from the open cars i looked down on green-clad precipices a thousand feet deep and up at the towering heights far above us every little while we came to a village when the train stopped to get coal it seemed as if it were pausing to catch its breath before continuing the slow ascent here in darjeeling i am seven thousand feet above sea level the temperature does not exceed eighty degrees in summer 
or go much below freezing in winter so it is a favorite resort for the british of the bengal lowlands it has excellent hotels fine residences and numerous furnished villas which are let out for the season there are also hospitals and sanitariums another attraction is the military camp situated outside the town among the finest homes in the place is that of the governor of bengal who lives here about four months every year one of the sites of darjeeling is the bazaar patronized by the natives from miles around on sunday the market day the town is thronged with himalayans traders come here from tibet there are nepalese and bhutanese natives from sikkim and the slopes of mount everest to say nothing of the laborers from the two hundred tea plantations nearby the women are especially interesting perhaps you have heard of the strength of the girls of tibet and how the wife bosses the household even though she may have three or four husbands from what i have seen here i judge these stories are true these himalayan girls could handle the average american husband with one hand tied behind them i found a score of them at the station when i arrived and hired one to carry my trunk to the hotel the way was steep but she agreed to take it up the hill on her back for thirty-three cents and she did a fellow traveler has told me that another girl walked so fast taking his two hundred and twenty-five pound trunk up the slope that although he was carrying nothing at all he could not keep up with her the women are both the dray horses and road carts of darjeeling they bring the dirt for repairing the streets digging it out of the hills with pickaxes and shoveling it into great baskets which they carry on their backs with the aid of straps about their foreheads each basket holds two or three bushels and well filled will weigh more than one hundred pounds with their mighty shoulders strong bodies and great calves and ankles i verily believe these women could move mountains the native mountain girls load themselves with jewelry the poorest of them have earrings and anklets of silver and the beauty who took my trunk to the hotel was so decorated with chains coins and other ornaments that she jingled as she tramped up the hill i see women with strings of silver coins as big as fifty cent pieces about their necks and covering their breasts and there are many wearing gold anklets and leglets bracelets and earrings they wear also ornaments of glass and turquoise the turquoise which is one of the common semi-precious stones of the himalayas is found in tibet and brought over the mountains for sale it is sometimes made into earrings four or five inches long and so heavy that they pull down the earlobes many of the women wear circlets of coral amber or jade about their heads and have belts with gold or silver clasps among the tribes near darjeeling are the lepchas and bhutanis the lepcha women wear their hair in braids down their backs and the bhutanis have balls of coral and turquoise as big as marbles on strings round their heads the tibetan tribesmen look fierce and carry curved knives in their belts i understand that when drunk they sometimes carve up one another but that neither drunk nor sober do they bully their wives the women who are in the minority often marry several husbands each girl babies are not welcomed in these regions where food is scarce and many female babies are given opium with their mother's milk so that they soon die 
every man gets a share in a home and a wife but there are no large families for him to support the market of darjeeling is easily located by the noise of people bargaining every stand draws a crowd and the people shout out their views about the goods and the prices i found a space of several acres filled with traders seated on the ground here the women were selling cottage cheese or smear case as we call it out in ohio they had great crocks of snow-white curds which they served out to their customers in boxes of leaves farther on were men with chickens and pigs and at the right was the open-air meat shop with butchers ready to kill a sheep upon order and cut off a chop hot from the loin there were many buddhist priests in the market some of them lamas down from tibet and scores of beggars bellowing for alms i saw also some tibetans with their prayer wheels with which the faithful can register something like ten petitions a minute the wheels are brass or copper boxes the size of a pint cup or smaller and about twice as deep with tibetan characters stamped in the metal inside each box is a roll of the prayers considered most effective by these primitive buddhists the box is pierced by a wire stuck through the center and fastened to a handle about a foot long with a turn of the handle the box rolls round on the wire axis and at every revolution the prayers within are supposed to go up to buddha and to wipe away the sins of the owner in tibet there are prayer wheels somewhat like these worked by windmills and water power and i doubt not that since electricity is coming even up into the himalayas the primitive buddhists will harness the lightning in their race toward salvation they remind me of the old story of the american who had a beautiful prayer printed out for him covering his every possible need he pasted it on the head of his bed and every night before jumping in folded his hands and reverently said o lord them's my sentiments amen i understand that the trade between india and the tribes on the other side of the himalayas is increasing the various government expeditions into tibet have opened some markets and a considerable business is now done at darjeeling the tibetans bring down musk skin tea salt and wolves as well as ponies cattle and sheep they take back sugar dried fruits and cotton goods of all kinds as well as ivory indigo madder and liquors so far there is no wagon road between darjeeling and lhasa the capital of tibet goods are carried over the mountains on the backs of women and men on ponies or on yaks shaggy creatures that resemble buffaloes yaks are the only beasts that thrive on the cold and hardships of high tibet the sight of a yak always reminds me of oliver herford's classic lines which go something like this this is the yak so negligee her hair looks like a stack of hay she lives so far from everywhere i fear the yak neglects her hair and thinks since there is none to see no matter how unkempt i be most of the caravans come by the jillop pass which is less than three miles high and is open all the year round it is only about five days march from darjeeling and going through it one looks upon tibet the loftiest country in the world End of chapter 15